Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Speaking of Resilience podcast. I'm your co-host, Kate Madigan, and Jamie Simmons is the other co-host today. We're both with the Michigan Climate Action Network. This podcast is also brought to you by the Groundwork Center for Resilient Communities, and we talk about climate change and climate solutions in Michigan and the Midwest. Today's guest is Brian Lewis, Executive Director of EcoWorks, a Detroit-based nonprofit working for 40 years on energy efficiency, community development, and sustainability. And they've had real results, like helping Detroit public schools save $3 million in utility bills since 2012. In this episode, we talk about the flooding and power outages that we're seeing this summer in Detroit, the connection to climate change and environmental justice, what we can do to make our communities more resilient to these impacts, the work EcoWorks is doing, and what gives him hope. Here's our interview. Welcome, Brian. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I would love for you to introduce yourself and your place within the climate and environmental justice movement in Michigan. Of course, of course. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Brian Lewis. I am proud to be a great many things, but uh, in this particular role, I represent EcoWorks as an executive director. Uh, I'm also an artist and consider myself creative. I love music. Um, I make music mostly for myself. Um, but maybe eventually down the line, hopefully, you know, maybe sharing that with others. And then, uh, yeah, those are some things I'm really passionate about. So just in terms of what I do, um, again, I'm the executive director of EcoWorks Detroit. We're a Detroit-based nonprofit that has a 40-year history in the city of Detroit. And we're really proud of that. Um, and in these 40 years, we've kind of grown and changed along with the changing needs of Detroiters. Uh, but kind of always found our center at the intersection of sustainability and social justice. Um, and so that's kind of where uh, my sweet spot is. Um, and, you know, what started so many years ago as a well-meaning but white-led organization looking to expand energy access and energy sustainability and training opportunities for uh, Detroiters, especially low-income Detroiters, has now evolved into an organization led by people of color. Uh, working with communities of color uh, to realize uh, what we call a just transition to a more equitable and sustainable climate. So I'm excited about all the great work that we're doing. I'm excited about this uh, new and expanded direction in terms of uh, our focus on climate equity and environmental justice. And yeah, that's kind of what makes me me. Great. Thank you so much. And it's so uh, amazing to hear about the 40 year history EcoWorks has in the community. That's outstanding. And kind of just kicking off the conversation and um, right into the topic, we talk about climate equity and climate justice, specifically in minority by and BIPOC low income communities. The summer Detroit and the surrounding areas have been having lately have been outstanding. And when you think about climate impact at the end of June, Detroit experienced its second 500 year flood of the decade and have also been hit by more rain and flooding occurrences since then. Um, I would love for you to speak a little bit about the impact of these severe rain falls and floods in Metro Detroit and um, how the people are being impacted. I mean, you spoke to it so well. I mean, the second 500 year flood in a decade. That's serious, right? Um, and it's what my, what boggles my mind is that, you know, this has been going on for a number of years. Uh, you know, I've been able to observe it, having lived in the city of Detroit and being from Southfield, uh, which is right outside the city. Um, 
but it boggles my mind how this is such a recursive conversation um, where we end up kind of always circling back to, oh my God, it's flooding again. What do we do about it? How do we uh, ensure that uh, Detroiters are uh, not having to uh, scrounge up uh, uh, resources that should be placed elsewhere to uh, deal with uh, flooded basements or uh, flooded cars on the freeway? Um, again, it's raining and storming right now outside as we speak. And it's almost that sense of it's triggering in a sense, because, you know, I'm saying I'm on the podcast, but I'm also checking the weather online just to make sure like, okay, how much is it going to rain? Do I have, you know what I'm saying? Should I move myself to higher ground? Uh, if I'm in the lower East side of the city of Detroit, which floods constantly, um, do I need to make preparations? Is there insurance for all these? And these are questions that are uh, anxiety inducing for someone who's just trying to live their life and just trying to make uh, the day-to-day -day, uh, necessities for themselves. And so again, it, it sparks my anxiety, even just seeing rain happen. And that shouldn't be, uh, that shouldn't be the case. Yeah. I was just saying that it, that's so true. And as being a person who grew up in Warren, um, I've definitely, uh, experienced the flooding, actually the first, uh, flooding, um, that happened, what, four or five years ago was impacted my mother's community devastated, like flooding in our basements, flooding within uh, all of our property, within the garage. And it was something that wasn't cleaned up for weeks. So even though it's that initial impact, it also is those weeks and weeks of having all these obstacles to get around. That's very, very impactful as well. Exactly. And, you know, thank you for sharing that personal experience, because, again, it's not just uh, the, the day of or the day after. It's the months and months of questioning, you know, how am I going to replace this? How, am I going to be able to get insurance to cover this? Is this going to impact my family negatively? Am I going to have to sell this house? Am I going to have to move? Like it is a constant threat. Uh, one of the many that Detroiters are under and it's so solvable. Yeah. And I'm glad that you talked about how sol how it is so solvable. We know that this increased rainfall that we're experiencing around Michigan, in particular in the metro Detroit area, is clearly linked to climate change. And we know from the IPCC report recently and from all of the science that it's just going to continue. Um, and this also is connected to really decades long underinvestment in infrastructure in Detroit and in, around the state. Can you talk about some of those root causes and the systemic failures around preventing these more severe impacts and, and maybe what solutions that you can see? For sure. Yeah. I appreciate that question. Um, and, and in thinking about root causes, I mean, you kind of spoke to it, the disinvestment and so many other things that have led to um, the state of our infrastructure today. Um, and you could, you could call it, and you know, the easy thing to say is that, you know, there's a lack of political will and there is a lack of political will right now at all levels of government. Um, there are people fighting every single day um, for, you know, people in frontline communities that are facing these uh, uh, systemic issues. But then again, the, the federal government, the state governments uh, and, and many local governments are not really able yet to respond uh, in, a, in a way that is decisive to be able to solve some of these issues. And it's easy to say that. Uh, but I think you spoke to and are kind of alluding to what are some of the real root causes of this issue? Because it didn't just pop up in the past five years. 
Um, this is decades and decades of disinvestment um, that, you know, you can even go before the disinvestment to the initial investment. Um, I think sometimes people forget that, you know, these freeways that we see uh, becoming bathhouses when it rains, uh, these freeways were paved over black and brown communities in the city of Detroit in uh, historical Black Bottom and Paradise Valley and all the way up the Lodge and 375. And all these roads were created uh, out of a sense of injustice. Um, and so uh, the initial investment is also something that we need to consider uh, as uh, part of the root cause. Um, and I think one, you know, I could talk on and on about this, but I think one resource that people can really benefit from uh, to start to connect those ideas of how, uh, especially in the city of Detroit, um, climate and infrastructure are affected by the long history of uh, disinvestment and uh, white flight and urban sprawl and urban quote unquote renewal. Um, these things are all connected. And I think one of the uh, best books that I've read uh, is uh, called Origins of the Urban Crisis. Um, it specifically takes Detroit as a case study, uh, talking about, um, again, the, the book is very explanatory, the origins of the urban crisis. Uh, and I think you can start to find some of those root causes um, going back even to the 40s and 50s um, from the city of Detroit. But again, there's no better time than the present. And what we need right now is that political will. We do need that money uh, and we need the infrastructure to be able to uh, adapt to the changing needs that our climate are clearly presenting for us. Yes, and I think you you kind of led us right into the, the next area of our, our conversation of like what is truly needed in Detroit to thrive and be resilient to these impacts of climate. Um, thinking about when and how we all should be centering the folks, the communities that are the most impacted and how we all can create and think of solutions that centers that and also starts there <laughs> and, and having them integrated in the conversation from the start. Uh, and um, just thinking about, like you said, the institutional um, and societal impacts that led to these things from the start, that's very, very centered in racism. And um, even now, when you think about the areas that are flooded, it's kind of centered in gentrification of what areas are not being flooded. Um, I would love to hear you talk about some of the, the solutions and projects that you might be hearing that are centered and could thrive in Detroit. And also you could speak to the work that you and EcoWorks are doing to, to uplift these relations and these voices and the climate movement. For sure, for sure. So that's a loaded question, but I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, so first and foremost, um, you know, I see myself and a number of my peers as a part of a new and enlightened generation uh, that is no longer so willing to compromise for our lives. Um, and especially in the city of Detroit, where we are seeing and realizing in real time, the negative impacts of climate change. And we talked about the IPCC report, um, there have been so many reports that have uh, told us what we already have known. Um, and our young generation uh, is aware of those things. And we're kind of fed up. 
Um, and I'm passionate about seeing more of my peers, uh, black men and women, indigenous men and women, uh, uh, people of all uh, races and genders uh, and sexual orientations to be, uh, and especially ages, to be engaged and involved in this work and to see more young people rise into positions of leadership, especially, you know, helping to lead organizations and or a climate movement that has traditionally not necessarily reflected uh, black, brown and indigenous voices. Um, and I'm excited to be part of that generation. So that's one thing that I think is gonna be uh, uh, instrumental in our moving forward at the local level, at, at the community level, is being able to support those young leaders, keep them in the city, because right now there's a mass exodus of young talent um, and of young people, black and brown and otherwise. And we need to be able to provide economic opportunity, uh, green economic opportunity, to be able to keep them here in the city employed, as well as producing uh, kind of the future and the vision of the future that I think Detroit is uh, really deserving of. Um, so that's one thing that I wanted to mention is just being able to highlight the already existing uh, voices, passions, and drives of the young generation. And you talked about um, successful programs that we've seen and or some of our programs that are kind of focusing on that, on that effort. Uh, we have the Youth Energy Squad, uh, which before I became executive director, uh, I was helping to lead that program over the past four years. Um, and that is, uh, well, first and foremost, the Youth Energy Squad is a program that grows the next generation of green leaders working with uh, Detroit public schools uh, and other, other Detroit students, as well as students all across the metro area uh, to help uh, learn about sustainability, learn about uh, recycling water, uh, saving energy, uh, 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 healthy food and nutrition, um, but not just learning about those things, actually empowering them, giving them resources, giving them support, giving them mentorship, and then sending them out on their own to do a project that makes a difference, their difference in their community or their school. Um, and so we want to see more initiatives like that. We want to see more initiatives like that. Sorry, there is a really loud rolling thunder happening right now. Um, oh, is that what that is? Yeah, wow. yeah. <laughs> we want to see more initiatives like that, not just with young people, but being able to uh, see more community organizations not working for uh, communities, but working with communities uh, and in partnership with them, helping to, uh, yeah, taking their energy and their expertise, but giving that uh, to the community and letting them derive what they want to see in their neighborhoods. Just to give us an idea of, um, the Youth Energy Squad, this is such such a great work. About how many young people are involved at any given time in the Youth Energy Squad? Yeah, so it varies depending on uh, whether or not COVID is in existence. Right. Um, and that's been <laughs> definitely a little bit tough. Uh, but uh, we typically have about 5,000 students that we work with in different kind of uh, engagement levels over the course of a year. We have, uh, we split them out into what we call tiers. And so we have like a tier one that's more of a light introductory engagement for maybe a school and or youth group that is now getting into sustainability, just now understanding um, what, uh, you know, what this whole fuss is. Uh, and they could be at all, like, all, all ages, whether third grade, fourth grade, all the way up through high school. Um, and, you know, that, that's a, a, you know, we have a, a limited engagement. Then we 
go all the way up to our tier three, which are students that are taking an entire year to do a investigation into their community, uh, understand the resources that the community has, the needs that the community has, uh, talk to people who have done uh, work and uh, uh, provided resources to the community uh, and understand what project they want to kind of come together on. And then actually we give them money to actually facilitate that project. Uh, and then we follow back and do evaluation. And we really put the onus on the students to make the change um, and we support them in however they choose to do it. That's so powerful that it's so student led. It's so youth led. That's great. For sure. Okay. Um, so we've talked, jumping back to kind of the impacts that you're seeing in Detroit, I just want to I want to make sure that we talk about the power outages that people are also experiencing. Um, Southeast Michigan, I don't live in Southeast Michigan, so I'm just hearing about this and reading about it, but I know it's, it's both of you are lived experience. Um, Southeast Michigan has experienced four major blackouts in six weeks. And so have, I want to ask, have you been impacted by these ongoing power outages and how would you describe the impacts of these occurrences on the overall community and, and people that you know? For sure. Yeah, I've been impacted. My family's been impacted. Um, just about everybody in Southeast Michigan was impacted uh, with the uh, at least what I consider the most recent one a few uh, week or so ago. Um, I looked on the DTE Insight app and it was all red all across the city of Detroit. Um, so obviously that's not a good sign. Um, you know, I actually, uh, I brought this up earlier about just how this could be triggering, you know what I mean? Just like uh, seeing rain and, and the potential of flooding and you start kind of going through anxiety raises and, you know, those types of things happen. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend literally uh, about a week and a half ago uh, and, you know, we were just, you know, kicking it and he actually brought this up himself, like, yo, cause it was around the weekend when, uh, the blackouts were kind of happening and, you know, he's, he's well to do, uh, you know, lives out in Birmingham and, you know, he's made it out the hood and, you know, he's, he's doing his thing. And, uh, he was, you know, cooped up at a hotel, uh, for the weekend cause his power was out and he couldn't pinpoint like he was sharing with me he couldn't pinpoint why even though he had it all he has everything why his anxiety was still raised why he was checking his account to make sure that his money was still there or like why he was like just trying to figure out like yo am i okay am i good and he was reflecting on that with me about you know his experience from childhood about you know when the lights went off it was typically our fault you know what i mean like we didn't have enough money we didn't uh, pay the bill or, you know, what, ha whatever have you. Um, and again, that, that is a trigger for so many people. And so to see, you know, obviously the, the increase of this happening, uh, and the regularity of this happening, uh, it, it brings up that same thought for me. Um, not to mention obviously the food waste and, uh, the, 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 the money and the, the, the resources lost, um, through a lack of power. I mean, some people were out for like multiple days. We're talking like five or six, maybe seven days. Uh, my other, uh, one of my friends, you know, we were supposed to have a party that night and party was canceled, you know? So all with all of this being said, uh, for so many uh, Detroiters to not really receive compensation that matches what they 
what they lost is, uh, to say the least, disappointing. Yeah, and I want to lift up how um, how dangerous this is too when you're in it with a heat wave. Um, because so just re- recently there was a power outage that lasted several days. I read about this, um, but there was also a heat index of about hundred degrees. And when your electricity goes out, you don't have fans, you don't have air conditioning. If you have access to air conditioning in your home or, um, and so then there's a huge risk. And um, I know researchers just, just released a report that planet Detroit covered that in Metro Detroit, uh, combined heat wave and power outage could be as, you know, as devastating as um, Hurricane Katrina, even, which was surprising to read. But it's that that that's that big of uh, a crisis, really. For sure. And again, uh, we, we talk. Uh, you you brought up an amazing point. You know, we talk about water. Uh, we talk about. Uh, so many other dangers, either to our property, to our home, and certainly to our lives. We talk about air quality. Um, you know, I don't hear as much uh, talk about the impact of heat. Um, and, you know, we uh, at EcoWorks, we actually uh, just recently finished a study uh, on uh, that considers the urban heat island effect uh, in the city of Detroit and tries to map that um, uh, community by community. Um, and that was some great work that we've done in partnership with U of M uh, and actually one of our former Youth Energy Squad members, uh, Michelle Mouth, um, did an amazing, amazing, amazing job on that. But that is something that is really, really critical to, uh, you know, so many people die of heat and it goes so under underreported. Yeah. And I, I think even when you think about the effects of heat and you think about the number of homes in the metro Detroit area that has air conditioning and other so that don't who might have to buy air conditioning. I know um, on the West Coast, it has been a lot of conversation about rental properties being required to offer air conditioning and how that is not something that is being spoken about um, outwardly in Metro Detroit. I would love to hear your perspective on that. Look, <laughs> I, I don't mean to make light of this at all, uh, but you reminded me of something uh, one of the best purchases I was ever affordable uh, afforded to be able to make uh, last summer, I bought a $200 air conditioner for my room uh, and quality of life dramatically increased. Uh, cannot imagine now a, a life without air conditioning. And so uh, that is a life that many Detroiters uh, are uh, facing. Um, and it really is devastating, um, especially to know that uh, you know, without some of these necessary improvements and policies and, and, and practices, especially in terms of requiring uh, 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 rental providers to uh, give some sort of relief from the heat, uh, without those sort of initiatives, again, human lives are at stake. Absolutely. And it also even goes back to your kind of, your mentioning of shutoff drama especially in areas in Detroit and the affordability of utility and how buying those air conditioners, even though it's an investment that as we can even see now is necessary for life, but the way that even affects your, your light bill, DTE bill, that it, it it's outrageous sometimes. For sure. I mean, Detroit is, uh, I mean, Detroit is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful city um, with beautiful, beautiful, beautiful homes. Uh, but those homes are large and old some of them are you know near in a century um and you know we 
uh, w- with that comes a energy inefficiency. Um, and so that is something that Detroiters are facing. Uh, and we call that the energy burden, the amount of money that uh, per uh, based on a percentage of their income, they're spending towards utilities, um, you know, heating, cooling, water, those types of things. Um, Detroiters face a significantly higher energy burden uh, than do neighboring communities. And some some communities, and it's specifically hyper-localized too, uh, certain communities are facing uh, energy burdens of about 18% or, or higher, um, which means that imagine, you know, you, you, you get your money in, uh, let's say you get $500, take $100 out, um, and that's gone to just utilities before you can buy money for food, or excuse me, buy uh, food or, or the other basic necessities that you need. So that is something that we're trying to uh, impact in the city of Detroit. We have a program uh, that the excellent Jabron Washington is helping to lead right now, uh, working in partnership with DTE. Uh, it's called the Energy Efficiency Assistance uh, Program. And this is a program where low income, low to moderate income uh, individuals under DTE's uh, purview uh, can receive assistance for the installation of energy efficient appliances. Uh, we've installed so many furnaces, we've installed uh, so much ductwork, we've uh, helped people get roofs over their homes. Uh, obviously, we've given people refrigerators. Uh, and those are the types of um, interventions that uh, can uh, move the needle for a household. You know, I mean, it's not the be all end all because there still needs to be training and development and education and uh, economic opportunity and all these different things. But this direct assistance is really vital for so many people. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought up your energy efficiency work. I would love to hear more about the work that you're doing, EcoWorks. I know you have so many, so many programs going on. I know you're working uh, the strategic community initiatives and also your net zero work for all. Can you talk to us about those programs? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, uh, first, starting with strategic community initiatives. Um, this is our kind of program that focuses uh, if. You know, we have three, three, three separate programs. I, I mentioned the Youth Energy Squad. We have a youth focus. Makes sense. Um, we have EcoD, which has a residential and uh, neighborhood focus. Um, and then we have Strategic Community Initiatives, which has a community, municipal, and really broader policy focus. Um, and we're really excited to have those kind of all those different degrees of impact because it's going to take all of those efforts to. Uh, really make the change that we're we're trying to impact, but the strategic uh, the strategic community initiatives program. Uh, uh, one of the major initiatives that we have going on right now is we're partnering with the city of Detroit, um, the city sustainability office, uh, Joel Hawaini Harris, uh, on the uh, Detroit climate strategy, uh, and this is a uh, both technical initiative uh, helping to benchmark you know, what uh, reasonably, what uh, technical solutions can we implement and start to build? What infrastructure can we start to change? And where are the, the really the, the important pain points that we can uh, start to uh, really impact, especially when it comes to building energy use and commercial buildings and residential buildings and those types of things. Um, uh, but even beyond buildings, but going on into communities, how can we really target our impact from a technical standpoint? And then we also have uh, Brianna Dubose, who's the director of uh, strategic community initiatives, leading 
the Climate Equity Advisory Council uh, and wanting to make sure that, okay, yeah, all this technical stuff, that's important um, and that's cool. Uh, but if that happens in a space that doesn't allow for uh, 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 people in Detroit to have an actual say in what's happening uh, and, and uh, have an actual say in how these uh, policies and or practices and or whatever it is the, the final recommendations suggest are actually getting implemented, then it really is all for nothing. And again, we're all about doing with community, not for community. Um, and so that is kind of the, the marriage that we're trying to, to make with that partnership. Um, but that's just one project. And we're doing uh, those types of activities for Washtenaw County uh, and for other uh, cities in the, the metro area as well. But trying to work with municipalities to actually push the needle um, and not just stop at the planning stage, but actually like, OK, let's put some of this in the ground. Like, let's actually make these changes. Yeah, that's so exciting. And I um, was just looking at your website and the numbers are so compelling. I just so your ego D work um, on your website says you've helped people lower their bills um, for more than 57,000 residents over your over your history. I'm sure not, not last year. That would be <laughs> impossible. Um, and <laughs> save over $49 million collectively by, by um, energy saving. Yeah. And, and, and this is, this is really important. Like you're, you're really bringing out the fact that there's an economic component to this, you know, like we can talk about health and health is important. Um, but a lot of people, you know, what's really going to move their needle is, you know, how does this impact my pocket? Um, and we got a solution for that too. Right. So we, we recognize that not only is this an economic problem, but like this can, uh, the, the solution can incorporate an economic solution. I love that. I love that you just said, well, we have a solution for that too. That's what we need <laughs> more in the movement and kind of going, going off of that, that energy, that empowerment energy that we can work to find these real solutions that center us and starts with us. Um, I would love to hear what really is giving you hope today in this movement with this work. Um, what what is really just embodying you to continue to impress on and uplift others to to join this fight and saving us all? Yeah, yeah, I I appreciate that question. Um, what gives me hope? Uh, I got to be honest and be like, I have to say that I am maybe a little bit more pessimistic than the average person. Um, and so while I do have plenty of hope and I can share where that comes from, uh, I don't think that my hope comes from, uh, <laughs> I don't think that my hope comes from uh, this uh, vision of us all coming together to solve the climate problem uh, and us, you know, singing Kumbaya songs and <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like we, 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 we know what it is over the past year. We've seen it. We don't have to talk about it, but we've seen it. Um, However, I do have hope. And what really gives me hope in the midst of all that negativity that I just shared um, was or is uh, the fact that, okay, let's say that uh, we're not going to be able to have Kumbaya uh, happy, happy time all together. Um, cool. I got my people and we have our community <laughs> and we can start there. You know what I mean, and I can focus in on on the people and the families and 
the solutions and the history. Oh my God, the history of the city of Detroit and, and its people. Um, yeah, I can focus in on what truly makes me uh, happy and what makes me love and what what makes me feel. And you know, nobody can take that away from me. Um, and I can start here and maybe, you know, and maybe we are able to have some happy times, but we can lead by example at that point. You know what I mean? I've already done it here and now we can do it elsewhere. Yeah. We, when we think about happiness and well-being, that looks very different for each community that we live into. And it's true and important that when we're thinking about the solutions of how that will look different for everyone because of the impacts of history, because of the impacts of income within the community, those are things that we within this movement, it needs to be talked about, needs to be centered, um, need to be understand that we're all fighting to save the planet, but we're all coming with a different perspective of why and a different impact of what the planet has done while we've been here in relationship to our, our history again. Um, but kind of shifting even deeper into this of taking action. And you can speak specifically in your community or overall, what are some ways that folks can take action on climate injustice in Michigan? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's so many opportunities and so many ways to, to take action. Um, you know what? I would just encourage people to uh, to reach out. I mean, many of these, uh, many of our climate leaders, um, especially in the city of Detroit, it's a, it's a small city. It really is a small city. You can get to know uh really anybody and there's events and there's so many resources um you know we're really trying to get the word out here so you know if it, very low barrier to entry just come out uh just come enjoy come fellowship um and and, and just start to make those connections and then over time you'll start to really narrow in on what it is your unique impact could be you know what i mean because like i wouldn't advocate for someone to just like hop right in and just like uh, uh expect to be out front and leading the climate movement on you know walking arm in arm with martin luther king um but like i would expect someone to you know get engaged to get involved but also stop to think about like what's happening in your life what's happening around you uh what are your friends doing what are your friends seeing um and start to start to piece together the story of what's happening around you. And as you start to do that, the solution becomes clear and the, 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 the inspiration is there um, because you know that this is bigger than uh, just something to do on a Wednesday. Like, you know, these improvements that we're making improve our quality of life. Um, and the lack of uh, those improvements takes away from our quality of life. Um, and it's a pretty simple choice to me. So find a way to get involved. Uh, you know, Facebook is cool. Instagram is cool. Twitter is all right. You know what I mean? However you choose to get involved, do it. And we're going to put your website in the show notes. And so people can go to your website if they want to get involved with EcoWorks. For sure. Yeah. Just like email me. Um, don't call me because I probably won't answer. Uh, but email me for sure. I would really appreciate getting to know uh, more people who are uh, passionate and engaged and they may not know what they're passionate and engaged uh, or trying to engage with, but I talk with a new person every day that's trying to get engaged and involved in the climate movement. And what really inspires me to kind of go back to your last question is that a lot of those people are black. 
and of color. Um, and that is just a beautiful thing to see. Anything else you want to add? Anything else we didn't cover? Uh, you know, I really appreciate the, just the relaxed conversation. Y'all are cool. And, um, I also appreciate the fact that, uh, this is a platform that can now reach, uh, other people that might be able to contribute to the mission. So like, if you're, uh, if you're in the city of Detroit or not in the city of Detroit, if you're, you know, black, white, or otherwise, um, whatever and whoever, and however you identify, uh, we, we could use some help, you know, if you got some money, help out that way. If you got some time, help out that way. Um, if you, you know, saying you got some muscle, help out that way. So really just find your unique niche and, um, you know, see me as an ally in that. Feel free to reach out to me. I'm sure that, um, you all will provide my information. Uh, feel free to provide my email, not my number. Uh, cause again, I will not answer. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited to get to connect with more people, um, who are passionate about this work. Great. Well, thank you so much for all of the work that you're doing and the movement that you're leading. Thank you. Yes. It, it was very refreshing to have you on and talk to you today. And if no one emails you, I will. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually connecting with Latia, someone who works with EcoWorks today, nice. actually. Um, so I'm really excited to, to hear more and see you all thrive even more in the state and even in your community. So thank you so much for joining us, Brian. For sure. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Kate. And uh, also shout out to you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Brian. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Speaking of Resilience podcast. You can find more episodes of the Speaking of Resilience podcast at our website, groundworkcenter.org slash podcast, miclimateaction.org slash podcast or on all major podcast platforms. If you appreciate this content and want more of it, stay up to date by subscribing to the podcast wherever you listen in. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. This helps other listeners find the Speaking of Resilient podcast. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Groundwork Center and at MI Climate Action. Speaking of Resilience is created by the Groundwork Center for Resilient Communities and the Michigan Climate Action Network. This episode was produced by Taylor Kramer of Cold Shower Media in collaboration with Nick Loud of the Boardman Review.